The following is a hoop ball presentation. What is going on? It is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast. Brandon Marcus here coming at you on a Thursday evening, the night before game number six, the pivotal game six. You could say it's a game seven of sorts. And who better to chat about game number six than Shane Young at Young NBA on Twitter, columnist analyst for Forbes Sports. He made the flight all the way into LAX for this game. He wants to watch this one in person. Shane, what's your your mood right now, knowing that you are, uh, I'd say, less than 24 hours away from watching the Clippers possibly go to the Western Conference Finals for the first time ever? It's it's kind of bizarre. I, I think bizarre and surreal would be the two words. Like, I'm not even, I'm like, I'm not a Clippers fan. I grew up a Kobe Bryant fanatic. So, you know, it's kind of been weird. But, you know, just... Just seeing the development and the the chemistry of this particular team has been awesome, and I just don't think you can undersell that. Like I don't think you can understate how how fun it has been to watch them uh, play under Ty Lue. So I mean, obviously we were jumping right into it off the bat, but I just want to say thanks for having me on, man. And and you asked who better? There's a lot better. There's a lot better <laughs> guess you could have. <laughs> hey, not true, not true. I remember you and I. This is now your second appearance. I think our first appearance went about an hour where you and I just completely shot the shit. And it was an incredible conversation where time flew by. And so I've been trying to get you on, but you have been busy as a bee. You are all over the place. You're (laughs) flying back and forth um, to go and see these games. You went to Salt Lake City for a little bit to see, I believe it was games one and two. So you have been all over the place watching this team and been in person. What's it been like, by the way, to uh, be at these games in person, man. especially in Utah, where they were pretty much full capacity? Man, I, you know, I got to say, the last time that I was in a full capacity arena outside of Salt Lake City was, I guess you could say, All-Star Weekend in Chicago 2020, like right before coronavirus was, uh, you know, shut down the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had been a long time. And, and obviously, I was only used to a few games at Staples Center this this season, uh, you know, during the regular season schedule. But that was without any fans. Like I had not been to an arena. I had not been to Staples Center when they allowed fans in until Game Seven of the Map Series. So um, it 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 was kind of weird to see how much Salt Lake City had. I mean, I mean, and they are they are absolutely diehard. It, it is. It was probably the loudest arena I've been in, and I know that like you can be prisoner of the moment. You can say that, but and and forget about you know prior experiences such as Oracle Arena, which was really loud when I was there a few years back. But um, it's the nature of 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 Utah's fans and how they are just you know constantly giving PG his you know beef about uh, being overrated or push off P as they're chanting. So I mean it was loud, it was fun and uh I, I do have to say like Salt Lake City and Utah in general and the Jazz get a bad rap, you know, for incidents that the, you know the crowd has had, but everyone I talked to was really genuinely nice. 
That's good. Yeah, I spent two summers in Utah broadcasting minor league baseball oh. there. So I uh, I was in Orem, which is about 35 minutes south of where you were in Salt Lake City, maybe about 40, 45 minutes. Um, so I flew into Salt Lake City, but Orem, Utah was great to me for a couple of summers. And I went to one game and I saw them play against the Magic. Not quite the atmosphere of a Western Conference semifinals <laughs> against the Los Angeles Clippers, but nonetheless, an incredible fan base. And for the Clippers, they'll have full capacity in the game tomorrow. You're listening to this. Most likely it'll be tonight where the Clippers play game six against the Utah Jazz. Full capacity. Very excited to see what the atmosphere is like. I mentioned it right off the bat, Shane, where I said it feels like a game seven. Do you think it's a game seven for the Clippers? Because I've been going back and forth on this all day. And game six, obviously, you're at home, a chance to close it out against the Jazz. If you let the Jazz win this one, they have momentum going into game seven in Utah. I would say it seems hard to figure out what the Clippers Mm -hmm. would do and whether the Clippers actually could win a game seven. No doubt they would be an underdog in that game. But I feel like the theme of this playoffs has been whenever you think the Clippers are out, they aren't. And they go and win a Mm -hmm. game you wouldn't expect them to win. So I think it's a game seven type tomorrow. And I think that they would probably lose game seven before the series started. I said Clippers in six or Jazz in seven. I think I would stick to that. But it wouldn't surprise me if the Clippers won in Utah. What do you think? So, you know, you said that you had been thinking about it all day. And I didn't really start contemplating, like, the the outcomes. Because it kind of, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, it kind of just felt like, the vibe after game five when PG had the game he did and and the Clippers made their run and withstood a lot of jazz, you know, craziness at the start of the game, which we'll get into. But um, it felt like they just had the series in the bag. Like, yeah. and it, it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to say that because it, it, it's only three two and Utah has been a good road team all year. Maybe not in the series in particular, but um, they've been a good road team all year. They've been able to, you know, still make shots on the road and then Donovan Mitchell's been a superstar no matter where he plays. And you would think that they still have an edge or they still have, they still could get this back to Salt Lake city and take care of business. And, uh, I, you know, after games, after game five, it, the mood was just like, Oh man, they, they had this figured out. Like the Clippers are going to roll them. That's what, that's what it kind of felt, felt like tomorrow was going to be, or I guess tonight, whenever people are listening to this podcast, but Feels like Game Six was just going to be Clippers laying the smackdown on them, but then I got to thinking about it, and it's like, man, I don't know because even though Utah started the game by making like ninety six straight three pointers, hmm. I mean it was it was tell me, I mean from your, from your perspective, it, it was the most the most the most absurd shot making quarter and yeah. half you'll ever see. Yeah, yeah, it, it was and it was painful to watch. <laughs> and and part of me thinks that even though the Clippers withstood that and that does not bode well for Utah because, hey, if a team is withstanding that type of stuff that you're putting up and still coming back to beat you on your home floor, then you might not have an, you might not have a counter punch left in the tank. But I still think Utah is a, is has enough creators, has enough uh, shooting on the floor to, I guess, Ups, there, it wouldn't be an upset in Game Six that they beat the Clippers, but um, it, it would feel a little bit. It, it would feel surprising considering the momentum has definitely shifted with LA winning three straight games. 
I, I guess that's a long-winded way of me saying I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I do feel like the Clippers have to win in Game 6 because, like, you know, the stat that was that was thrown around the other night, it's the, the Clippers have not won in Salt Lake City yeah. before Game 5 in the last four years since, since Gordon Hayward was on the Jazz. And Boris Diaw was on the Jazz, right? I mean, it, it's been a long time. So I don't like the odds of, of them going back into Salt Lake and trying to get it done again. So you do think Game 6 is indeed a must-win for the Clippers? Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I, I, I feel, lean, too. I would lean that way, yeah. yeah, I, would yeah. Lean that way. I feel that, too. And it's been weird because I've been watching the, uh, the four-letter company today, and they've been talking about the series. And one person said, yeah, you know, the series is over. The Clippers are going to win. It's like... Have we not watched the NBA playoffs? I mean, we thought that the Bucks were cooked, and then all of a sudden they forced a Game Seven tonight. I mean, we yeah. th- we thought the Clippers were cooked twice against Dallas and <laughs> against Utah, and they came back. I-, I don't think we know what's going to happen game to game right now in these yeah. NBA playoffs with all the injuries now, COVID possibly affecting Chris Paul, and how long will he be out? Um, despite supposedly being vaccinated. I mean, it's all very strange. So that's why I really do think you need to win game six. Uh, I do not think Kawhi Leonard comes back in this series. I'd be surprised if he came back this season. And so let's go there first before we go into Paul George, because I think that's the main other talking point that we'll get to. Kawhi Leonard, uh, spraying me. It was something that I was worried about immediately. I texted a friend. I said, do not be surprised. If you wake up tomorrow morning and you find out that Kawhi Leonard is out for the season and it just had that feel to a couple of years ago when I woke up and I believe it was Blake Griffin that they sent out a press release that he was out for the year and we had no idea that he was injured. So it was one of those things where it just I saw the injury. It scared me. He was holding on to his knee. I didn't understand why nobody went to give him ice. If you sit out the final 430 of a game that probably is a must win game, you are hurt. And I just didn't understand what was happening there. But nonetheless, he is hurt. Supposedly a possible ACL injury. Um, I would guess that it's not a tear based on how this is being reported. You would think a tear would have already been released. So a sprained ACL, my guess is he's out for the season. What do you think this does to the team? Because I find it very hard to believe this team can go very far with Paul George and the rest of this squad. I mean, they've been defying the odds all season, but it just feels difficult to overcome more than this series without Kawhi Leonard. I definitely fully agree there that they cannot win the championship without Kawhi Leonard. I think Milwaukee or Brooklyn, notice I'm leaving one team out that's down 3-2 in the first round right now because they blew a a crazy lead but that's doc rivers for you um i think i think milwaukee and brooklyn would just overwhelm them you know in the in the finals uh but but you know i i will i will say this i'm not sure if you agree with me or not but i i kind of just i kind of have full confidence that they would beat phoenix yeah me too. I, I, ju- I just think that that the clippers match up decently well with them, uh, you know, and, and they can still score in the half court against Phoenix, even without Kawhi. Yeah, it would be interesting to see the Clippers small ball lineup against DeAndre Ayton and what that mm-hmm. would do to him because he's been so good in this playoffs. I feel like it would kind of neutralize him a little bit um, just because, I mean, Rudy Gobert has had his moments during this series, but once the Clippers finally solve something in game three, 
it, it seems like they've been able to figure out how to get a big center out of the way and make them pretty un- yeah. ineffective to what they're used to doing. So that would be interesting for sure. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to go back to a couple things you said there that that I kind of made a mental mental note of. You said like this postseason run, how it's been up and down. Like you you count a team out and then they come back and stun you for you know two or three straight games. Yeah. In the Clippers case, down 0-2 to to Dallas, trailing by 19 in the first quarter. And uh, you know since we, me, you and I haven't talked, you know throughout these playoffs that much, but I, I was telling I was actually telling Justin Russo this the other day. Whenever it was a 19-point deficit for the Clippers in the in the first quarter of Game Three against Dallas, I was like laughing. I was literally just like laughing at the shots that Tim Hardaway and and Luka Doncic were nailing to start that game, and thinking, "Oh well, this was fun. Like it was fun covering this team this year. It's over. You know, we can all just have a have a lo- nice long summer break." Um, and to think that we're already here now, you know. That to think the Clippers are up three two in the next series against an even better team in Utah, it, it's pretty nuts to think about. And and you know Mil- Milwaukee has seen that too, where where now they have a chance to I, I guess uh, you know win a series that not a lot of people pick them to win. I, I certainly didn't. Uh, inj- injuries have played a good part of that too. But it, but in general, man, I think it's been the shot making. I think it's just been all these teams catching fire and in the most you know, unpredictable ways. Like, like before this series, Brandon, like, did you expect Jordan Clarkson to shoot 54% on pull-up threes? I didn't. No, I did not. And it's funny you say that because I literally have the tweet in front of me. That was my next point where you tweeted earlier today, Jordan Clarkson update for the series. In the paint, 6 of 19, mid-range 0 for 5, all two-pointers, 6 of 24, 25% <laughs> on twos. Pull-up threes, 16 of 31, 51.5%. Catch-and-shoot threes, 6 of 17. Whereas we know with Reggie Jackson, catch-and-shoot threes, that, that's where he thrives. Pull-up three-pointers, <laughs> that means you're just pulling up, and you most likely have a defender in front of you, and you're just jacking it up, and 51.5%. I mean, we talked about it, yeah. this uh, on this pod several times uh, over this playoffs, where Dallas, you had... Luca, who was not a good three-point shooter throughout the season, and of course Tim Hardaway Jr. that turned into Steph and Clay, and then you have Jordan Clarkson and Donovan Mitchell that turned into Steph and Clay. <laughs> it's been one of the most ridiculous postseasons I have ever seen, where the Clippers yeah. just cannot catch a break, and they're facing just flamethrowers each and every night. It's it's wild and, to watch. And like, j- just think about it if. The reward, if they get out of this series, the reward for the Clippers, who, who might be Kawhi-less, yeah. is, oh, there is a Chris Paul on the other end that is shooting 65% in the mid-range. Like, the, the one area that the Clippers like to concede shots from, you know, especially if they if they play Zubats, which, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll stay small. Yeah. I, I really love that Ty has basically rolled out all these experiments with lineups and, until he's until he finds something and one in a particular series that he likes, then he'll stick with it. But it's gonna take a few it's gonna take a couple games. It's gonna take, you know, two hundred possessions to get to that. But but once he's there, he figures it out. And I think we saw that with Cleveland against Golden State for those three seasons that he was the head coach. I think we've seen it in the East Finals a lot of times whenever he was going against Boston. So, you know, he, he tinkering tie, as they call him. I mean, he figures things out. I, I think they'll stay small, you know, no matter how 
far they go in these playoffs, and that'll help them. But it's like the reward if you beat the best three-point shooting team of all time by volume, which is Utah. I mean, Utah's not like the most efficient, but they jack a lot of them and they make a lot of them. Um, the reward is, oh, you're getting a mid-range maestro, and that you know that 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 has to suck a little bit. Yeah, and then of course you have Bridges and Crowder and Booker that can all yeah. jack from three, so it. It certainly is one of those series, but you got to win game six or game seven first. Mm-hmm. And so no Kawhi. We saw last night that the playoff P was in full effect. And whether you want to call pandemic P, playoff P, push off P, whatever. I mean, last night he really lived up to what all the expectations were of him and then some. I was talking to justin wilson before the game and i said you know what i think they're cooked i think i don't think they're gonna win the series i don't think they're gonna win you're not you're not both i don't think they're winning the next two games i I just don't think they have enough without Kawhi, and i don't think you can win at utah i said the only way that you can win is if paul george combines for 40 plus points plus assists and he had 37 points five assists so he went for over 40 and i said you probably need close to 10 threes from man george or not part of man morris batum and probably those three and maybe Kennard and those guys chipped in. I mean, Batum had three, Morris had three, Reggie Jackson had three, and then you had Kennard who had two and Kennard has been shooting the ball pretty well. So the Clippers got what they needed and oddly it was a really good team performance and Marcus Morris, I've been saying it throughout the playoffs. I know a lot of people have, it really seems like this team goes as Marcus Morris goes and it feels (laughs) like that's going to be the case even more so without Kawhi Leonard and he shoots well, then you're in pretty good shape because you look at that starting lineup, you can't count on Batum to light the world on fire. You can't count on Terrence Mann to light the world on fire. So it's really just Morris Jackson and PG in the starting five. And you need to have three players at least in double figures in that starting five. So a good performance all around, but let's talk about Paul George and what he did because uh, people wanted to crush him. They wanted to crush him with a bad performance yesterday and he yeah. was absolutely incredible. I know you have been defending him from here all the way to Australia. <laughs> and, and you really have done, you've been at the front of the line in defending Paul George since you watched him all the way back when he was with Indiana. How impressed were you by what he did yesterday? Uh, you know, it, it was funny because it didn't seem, I mean, he. what did he have in the first half? Did he have 22 in the first half? Yeah, I, think the first he, half? I was going to say around 20. It, it, to me, it, it, maybe I'm wrong on this, but it, it was it was a quiet half. Like you know, it, the points were plentiful, but they were not as loud as as like the end of the game stuff was for PG. Although he did get a little bit turnover happy, and you know that that happens with him because if, if you're asking him to to dictate the offense as a yeah. playmaker, you're going to have to live with those type of turnovers. I know Justin Wilson though has it, that's my boy because he uh, he always says there's one. WTF pass by yep. PG every game. <laughs> that was a bad so, one too. That was a pick six written all over it, where it was an easy yeah. layup. Yeah. Um, but you know, going back to what you're saying, PG, I wasn't like, like astronomically like impressed. Like that, this wasn't like you know his best ever playoff performance. It, it might have been, but but I think the reason that I have defended him t- to that degree is because I've seen this dude. Like, we all have seen this dude. You, I know you watched Pacers Heat. I know you watched um, 
the Pacers and Raptors series in 2016. Like everyone was watching the playoffs. Like no one's going to turn off uh, a really good intense playoff game, even if it was seven years ago. It's like we, we've seen what this dude can do in the moment. And he has been through a couple of bad series in Oklahoma City. I just, you know, I've, I've kind of always told people this. It's like it's hard for me to to pinpoint those series in Oklahoma City with Russell Westbrook and and you know uh, Billy Donovan and, and the, the spacing that that team had, which was very non-existent. I mean, he, they had Jeremy Grant, and and that was before he was even becoming this knockdown threat yeah. or this you know outside threat that could that could stretch the defense. Um, I, I didn't think the spacing in Oklahoma City was conducive for him, and that's why you know he did miss a, a bunch of open shots in those series. But it's like I, I don't think that. Um, you can look at what he did in Oklahoma City and say, like, that's who Paul George is, and that's, you know, Pandemic P, which I hate that nickname. You know, I, I think people should have retired that a long time ago. Yeah, um, but it, but it's like, I, I think more so what PG was doing in the latter portions of that Pacers run, and his best players next to him were George Hill and Monte Ellis and, and you know, CJ Miles, not very good either, right? I mean, so it's... I don't think he's been given a fair shake. And now we're seeing him without his running mate, Kawhi Leonard, um, with a team that is very well adequately spaced. I mean, you can't ask for better spacing than the Clippers. I I think they have generated the best shot quality of any team in the playoffs, and I don't think it's close. I mean, Brooklyn will will generate a lot of open shots too, but – but they kind of like to live in the isolation and in the mid range as well. Um, but the Clippers, you know, it, it's really good shots at the rim, which PG has been really good at, at, at focusing on. Okay, if Derek Favors is in the game, yeah, I'm going to drive re- relentlessly, and no one's going to stop me from doing that. And I'm also going to get to the line nine or ten times, which is a big uptick from the regular season because it, you know maybe. You and I on this podcast, whenever we whenever we recorded a few months ago, you know, I'm pretty sure we were advocating for PG to get to the line more, and, yeah. and he has brought all of that and then some. Yeah, he, the, I think the thing with Paul George is that there are games where he just doesn't show up. I mean, you look at Game Six against Dallas, six of fifteen, six of ten from the free throw line. Game Seven, he was five of fifteen. You look at Game One against Utah, four of seventeen. Game two, eight of 18. Um, It's certainly good numbers when you look at the scoring totals. It's just that you would expect him to be a little more consistent. I think the frustrating part is when you look at Paul George and you see what he's done the last three games where he has been absolutely sensational. He scored 31 plus in all three is that this is what he's capable of. And of course, there are guys that are going to have off nights, no doubt about it. But there's just a certain amount of aggressiveness and confidence with Paul George that you would expect to have him night to night. And it seems like it disappeared for a little bit in games six and seven and then games one and two in this series. But it's back. And just like the bubble where he said it was difficult to really stay in the right mindset and how much it affected him where he had those highs and lows. It seems like he's kind of having those highs and lows. But now, knowing that he's the dude it feels like he's got the confidence to be the dude and know that everybody has confidence in him, so he has confidence in himself. Does that make sense? Oh, it definitely does. I mean, he he is actually – the, the word you can best use to describe him, which a lot of people have used already, is just smooth. Like, 
because he he doesn't get too high, he doesn't get too low. It doesn't feel like he ever um, loses the confidence to me, at least. I mean, like I, I think he always has it in there. It's just he becomes indecisive, and I thought that is what games one and two showed for me. It's that they had such a short turnaround after Dallas because they because they they figured out Dallas. They they figured that out like a puzzle. Like they they put the pieces together and said we're just going to attack the rim. And there's not a much, there's not a lot you're going to be able to do about it because your best rim protector is someone that <laughs> doesn't weigh very much. You could easily knock him out of the way, right? So I mean, I think they I think they abused Dallas in there and in, inside, and and it took them a couple games against Utah to figure out the best way and the best method to attack Rudy Gobert, and and that's when they were still starting big and playing big for for good portions of the game. Um, so it didn't really help the spacing for PG and Kawhi in that sense. And, and it also like, it, it took them time to figure out, okay, like in what lineups can we attack the rim and what lineups do we have to take these mid rangers? You know, when can we hunt threes? And, you know, P- to PG's credit, he, to me played better than Kawhi on the road in Salt Lake city. Cause Kawhi was just kind of a disappearing act for you know for large portions i mean he had his moments in salt lake city but but uh it, it wasn't anything that you expected like like we saw in dallas that's for sure uh pg has been great the last few games i expect this to continue because once you know kind of going back to like that tyloo approach once he sees how they're going to play him um he is someone that will fall into that habit and take good shots. I don't think he's been taking bad shots either. Like there's very few possessions to me, at least that, that PG is, is taking those. Oh no, what are you doing? Paul type yeah. shots. Uh, what stuck out to me in, in, in game five in particular was like, he has mastered. And I think this is true of his entire Clippers tenure. These two years he's been there. He's mastered like the deceleration, um, getting, Big guys on a switch, wanting to attack them, but then realizing, oh, I, I, I'm quicker, I'm shiftier than these guys. I can actually stop on a dime while their momentum is swinging backwards, and I can pull up for mid range. Or he had that over Rudy Gobert, I think, in the in the first half of, of Game Five the other night. Yeah, he he's been spectacular, and uh, I'm curious, what do you think he needs to do numbers wise? in the game that the Clippers win, whether it's game six, game seven, let's start, let's let's just figure game six is the one they need to win. Do you think he needs 35 plus? Does he need 30 plus? He scored 31 plus the last three in their wins. I think the most impressive part about the 37 in last night's game is that he had only three threes and he got to the line 11 times. He was 10 of 11, 12 of 22 from the field. So he was getting good looks. So I think... My opinion is I think we need at least 32, 33 from Paul George. Um, in the game, the Clippers are going to probably have to win because you look there and need about 105 to 115 points, you would imagine. Um, and then you look at the rest of the characters. I mean, we don't need to go player by player, but it just yeah. feel, it just feels like PG needs to get around that 32 to 35 mark with around five to nine assists. What do you think? I, I was actually going to say, Brandon, that they could survive. They could, they could actually win with a 25-point game from PG. And oh, you know wow. why? Because Markeith Morris is going to be on the sideline. <laughs> and and Marcus Morris, dude, is is probably going to make seven threes again at home. Be, just because this guy, 
this guy, when his brother is in town, when his brother is right next to him, he has super duper confidence. So I'm actually going to say that the Clippers, if they win, it's going to be one of these games, you know, kind of like game five, you know, but PG did take over for large stretches. But but I thought I thought Terrence Mann played exceptionally for for most of the game, had a few bad spots here and there. Luke Kennard, he can get more shots, and I think he's going to get more shots at home. So I would actually say they could win with a 25-piece from PG. It doesn't have to be too crazy because they're going to get more shots from Luke, Terrence. I mean, can Terrence just make a corner three? If he made a corner three, that game wouldn't have been close. Yeah, and the tough part is that once he missed that corner three, he was hesitant to shoot the rest of the game, which was really frustrating because he had a lot of open looks from deep, and he just didn't take them. Um, because after he missed that three, it kind of shook him. Then finally he hit one on the wing, and that gave him a little more confidence. And, of course, the the incredible dunk over Gobert was awesome to see on his end. So I think if he does get the 25, I think would you assume that PG probably will have between 8 to 10 assists if he's going to have that low of a scoring total? Yeah, he has to. I, he has to because that has to be the, the moment and the situation where he – he uh, capitalizes on all this work that he's done as a playmaker. I, you know, this has been not, by far his best playmaking season in his uh, what eleven-year career so far. Um, I think that he has been able to read the floor in a masterful way that is going to invite more turnovers, but it's also going to uh, have those moments where he is he's making the read to Evita Zubats or he's making the the skip pass from you know 25 feet across the court to Morris or you know maybe a Terrence Mann if the defense sucks in and, and you know, collapses on PG's drives so yeah he's got he's got to have probably he's got to have at least eight assists I, I say eight is the barometer right there yeah and then of course you've got Reggie Jackson who has been absolutely fantastic from deep it seems like every single game he's hitting three or more threes except for in game number four, I believe it was. And so Batum hit three, Morris hit three, Reggie hit three, PG hit three. Uh, I think that if PG is going to have that low of a scoring total, I think you're right. I think, I think Kennard needs to have a big game. Uh, there's got to be one of these games in him where he hits four or five threes. There has to be one of those games in him. You wonder if it's going to be tomorrow night um, or if it's going to be in that series against Phoenix if they get yeah. there. It just feels like he's shooting with so much confidence and he's getting such good open looks it's got to be one of these nights, right, Shane? Yeah, uh, it, definitely. It, it definitely has to be one of these nights. And do you want to do you want a Reggie Jackson stat? Yeah, give it to me. Okay, so if Reggie makes one more three, just one, in, in this entire playoff run, he will have more three pointers than any other Clipper in any single playoff run. Incredible. Not Chris Paul, not Jamal Crawford, not JJ Redick. It'd be Reggie Jackson. The same guy that was sent to the bench after the first 10 games of the regular season. Just unbelievable. <laughs> and, and, and Ty, and Ty said, I, I remember that. I remember that moment because Ty said that he took Reggie Jackson to the room. I think it, they might've been on the road. He might've invited Reggie into, the, into his room and said, like, we had a conversation about just staying ready. And that's Ty's favorite words is just, you know, stay ready. Mm-hmm. Um, be there when you're needed and what, you know, be there when you're called upon. And they just didn't expect the injury situation to be what it was. They didn't expect Kawhi to have to miss time or, you know, PG with that bone edema in his foot. So the, the rotations have been shuffled all year long. I, I, 
can you remember a two week stretch, three week stretch where they had everyone together without any like I guess major lineup changes, whether that was rotational, like Ty Lue's decisions or injuries. No, it feels like this team was switching lineups every single game. It's the same thing as um, last year. The the Clippers just could not get anybody healthy. Um, It was the most frustrating thing to see. And we talk about um, Reggie Jackson, of course, and we got to bring up what Pat Beverly has done. And I think this will be one of our final points we'll bring up because we want to kind of go short here because Pat Bev has been incredible. Uh, so these are numbers that Justin tweeted out earlier today, Justin Wilson. So with Pat Beverly on the court, Donovan Mitchell is shooting nine for 32, which is 28%. When Pat Beverly is off the court, Mitchell is shooting 48 of 96, 50%. From three, six of 18 when he's on the court, 33%. When he's off the court, 21 of 47 45%. I mean, what Pat Beverly has done in this series, and I talked about it with Joey Lynn before the series started, was how Pat Beverly is going to come back in the rotation and he's going to be important. It, it's really been a team effort, um, Shane. It's really been unbelievable to see whether it's Batum, Morris, whether it's Jackson, whether it's Mann, whether it's Bev, whether it's Luke on a given night. It seems like everybody's chipping in, but good for Pat Beverly. You talk about stay ready. He gets all these DNPs last series, and to do what he has done the last couple of games has been simply remarkable. Yeah, I, I thought it was funny on that on that pet Bev point because you watch what he does, you watch all of his individual efforts on defense, and I actually asked Marcus Morris after after game three, I can't no after game four when they tied it, I, I asked him like, uh, you know, what are you seeing from Pat out there? It, his defensive contributions coming around screens. It seems like it seems like Pat is one of the best in the entire league at forcing a guard to be a little bit hesitant or a little bit concerned about him trailing behind the play and those rear view contests and those, you know, blocks that he gets, which nobody on planet Earth should be able to block the shots that he does at that size. It's kind of remarkable. Uh, it's kind of like D Wade esque. I mean, D Wade was obviously a little bit bigger, but <laughs> but Wade was the best shot blocking guard ever. And uh, you know, Pat Pat has definitely given a run for his money in, in this series with it, with his versatility there. But Marcus basically just shrugged that off and, and immediately started talking about just Pat's ability to not play in the Dallas series and then come in and be this pivotal piece against Donovan Mitchell and how that takes professionalism. That takes um, buying into the team, and I don't think you'll ever, ever have a problem with Pat Beverly buying in. I don't care. I don't care if he's not going to play a single minute the entire season. He would gladly accept that and 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 do well in that role. Yeah, just the amount that everybody has bought in um, under Ty Lue has just been so fun to watch. It seems like this team just deserves to get to the Western Conference Finals, and it's unbelievable that all it takes is one more win, but. I believe the stat that I saw today was 0-8 is what the Clippers' record is when they have a chance to go to the Western Conference Finals. So hopefully that changes at game number six. Shane, you will be there in person for that game. People can read you after the game at Forbes, which you just do an incredible job there. You put in some videos, which are awesome to see just the examples of the stuff that you're actually talking about. So it's always fun to read your stuff at Young NBA on Twitter. Shane, appreciate the time, my man. 
Oh, for sure. And we, like, let's do this more often because uh, it's been crazy. And, and I think the last time we talked, Lou Williams was a clipper. So we definitely need to pod more often. Yeah, it, it's been a while. I think I looked, uh, I when I opened up Skype, it had been a couple months. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we need to do this more often. Hopefully, hopefully the next time I have you is when the Western Conference Finals is underway and the Clippers are in it. So Shane, thanks a lot, man. Oh, thanks for having me. Just a huge thanks to Shane for jumping on. If you heard a little bit of traffic behind him, that's Los Angeles for you as he came in late tonight and was kind enough to jump on the podcast. So a monster thank you to Shane for hopping on the show. Before we say goodbye, the Clippers were a big underdog coming into the final couple of games, but now it's close to a toss-up. Who do you think is going to win game six? If you think the Clippers are going to close out the Utah Jazz tomorrow and you want to bet on that game and you say, you know what? The Clippers, who are currently sitting at plus one and a half, they are the underdog for game six. You want to bet on them? Head over to mybookie.ag. Ever since I started this podcast, people always ask me for betting tips. I always get asked, who you got? Where are you betting? I tell them I am betting at mybookie.ag. Their rep is rock solid. They've got the best odds, contests, and promotions in the business. The only place I trust to handle my NBA-related bets, my Euro 2020-related bets, Wimbledon related bets. It's all there, all different sports, US Open as well. They've got in game props as well for basketball, baseball. You want to play blackjack? It's all there. Enter the promo code HOOPBALL. Get your deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks. That's the promo code HOOPBALL. Head over to my bookie if you want a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best. Bet with my bookie. All right, so game number six. I said it before, I think it's a must win. I think the Clippers need to win game six. I know they've done it before a couple of times where they're back against the wall where they won game three after losing the first two against Dallas. They won game three after losing the first two against Utah. I just don't know how many times you can do that, especially without Kawhi Leonard. So I think that this game six is a must win. We'll be back with another podcast at the weekend. Justin Wilson. We're looking to get him on, and we'll have that podcast out for you on Saturday if all goes well. So a big thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. At BD Marcus is my Twitter handle. At Hoopball Clips is the Twitter handle for the Hoopball Clippers podcast. I'm Brandon Marcus saying so long. Let's hope the next time I talk to you, the Clippers are Western Conference Finals bound for the first time in history. Go Clips! <laughs>